Transforming Society podcast is brought to you by Bristol University Press and Policy Press. In episodes covering a wide range of social issues, we speak to authors and editors about their books and journals to get to grips with the story their research tells and look at the specific ways in which it could transform society for the better. Getting business on board is essential if we want to achieve the United Nations goal of building a better future for people and planet by 2030. However, capitalism is a damaging ideology unfit for the 21st century, and business is causing the problems the UN is trying to solve. In their new book, Urgent Business, Five Myths Business Needs to Overcome to Save Itself and the Planet, Ian Thompson and Don Bates from the University of Birmingham and the Lloyds Banking Group Centre for Responsible Business move things forward by offering a practical framework based on the UN's global goals to enable business to address the world's most pressing problems. So many businesses feel overwhelmed when first looking to work with the global goals and uncertain where to start. They're also constrained by outdated myths about what makes for good business. Today, I'm talking to the authors to unravel these issues and look at practical steps towards making change. So hi, Dom. Hi, Ian. Hi there. Thank you for speaking to me today. Um, So before we talk about the book specifically, I wanted to get your thoughts on how businesses are engaging with the global goals currently. So my sense is that sustainability is often still seen as an extra rather than being integrated into decision making. And how does the response to social and political movements like Black Lives Matter and COP26 over the last couple of years fit in with this? Yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like a bit of a mixed bag. Um, I guess on the one hand, you've got a company like Ben & Jerry's, who have made uh, an extraordinary strident statement uh, against white supremacy in the US in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, And then on the other hand, you've got uh, fossil fuel companies at COP26, uh, pledging to reduce emissions and go into renewables in a big way, and yet are still speculating for new oil fields and, um, and are not keeping to the basic principle of just keeping fossil fuels in the ground. Um, so although many companies are starting to engage with the values and global goals, um, it's going to take a lot more time, I think, to sort of integrate those values into their operations and, and their and their mission and their purpose. Yeah. Um, it could take maybe a generation or two. And that, unfortunately, we don't have that time. And that's the big thing that the book is trying to point out. That's why it's called Urgent Business is that, you know, we just do not have this time. Yeah, I mean, I think what what I, what. I think we're seeing as businesses firefighting problems and getting exhausted trying to keep up with the the amount of fires that are appearing. I don't think they see the global goals as an extra, but what they're not doing is they're not addressing them in a strategic way and incorporating them into what they do. They seem to be keeping it on the periphery um, of what they do. And I mean, this is not, you know, sustainability is not unusual, but but, I mean, businesses tend to underinvest in knowledge strategic planning, risk forecasting and information system, which has created a lack of resistance and capacity to cope or absorb the unexpected. And again, this is it. I mean, what we've really, I think really important message in in the book is that sustainability isn't a viral meme or a temporary TikTok kind of fixation. It does need serious consideration. I mean, superficial fixes to some of the, you know, social and ecological imperatives do make a bit of a difference. And I get, I, get, I get a feeling that many of our fellow humans who exist in business want to make a dis- difference. They're really struggling how to, how to know how to, how to, how to do it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and that's, that's where the book's particularly helpful. So like, whatever the size of business, 
this sense of struggle to properly engage with the global goals. You explain that by looking at five myths in the book. And it's these myths that kind of give us blind spots and become barriers to change. All the details in the book, of course, but can you briefly talk us through what these myths are? Okay. Yep. I'll 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 do that. I mean, we we've got we've got five five myths that um, we want to do. So, the the first one that we've got is that you need to grow sales and profits to be successful, and I think that's that's often it, it very much is a myth. And when you go and talk to people, they you know they you just don't see that happening in in, in practice. The you know the people's first response in business they talk about growth and they talk about profit. As soon as you scratch the surface, you suddenly realize they're not talking about profit and they're not talking about growth. I mean, aren't aren't all businesses essentially driven by profit? No, they're not. They're they're not. They they often say they are. But when you ask them, what is profit? And we've we've done this before. And you discover that they've got totally different. They use the word, the label profit, but actually they mean totally different things. It's really, it's really interesting that the, you know, accountants have a measure of profit that's there. Very few other people have. And there's the kind of the myth that people are motivated by money is, is, is just doesn't hold up to research. It's people are motivated often by purpose and doing things, creating things and sustaining in relationships. And, and you often find that the you know a lot of people are actually stressed and ashamed by business bad business practice, right? You know, and things like you know growth. I mean, often business is the only place where we think growth is okay. Yeah. I mean, what grow like the COVID virus or cancer cells? <laughs> yeah, it's great. You know, like obesity. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we kind of don't want to grow as human. We want to grow in some ways, right? But we don't necessarily want to grow in physical size. So. It's, it's actually a much more nuanced concept. And, and this idea of what's success, I mean, you know, we, we talk to business people, a, a chef who just wants to run the restaurant and keep doing the same thing over and over again. And people love going to that restaurant with the local food, the local supply, the connections, local community. How is that not successful? How is that not a good business? It's hard for us to define success without growth, isn't it? Yeah, well, we're trapped. Yeah. Kind of trapped into it. Even even Adam Smith, he only saw growth as a temporary, as, as evidence of a temporary imbalance. Right. Yeah, it wasn't a thing in itself. It was you only had to grow or change your shape and sizes when things get out of balance. You know, and there's like this idea of, you know, economic, even economics is talking about harmony and balance and optimal, mm, not yeah. about maximum. And some ways, I mean, in the book, we do talk about. We, we do recognize that profit is, is kind of important. It's an extra added value and it's needed for many different things, but it's maximizing profit at the expense of everything else. That's when things start to go, go really, really wrong. Yeah. And I mean, you know, no business will go, if you want to kind of maximize profit, you go, well, let, let's deal in heroin or something like that. <laughs> you know, and it's like big, big businesses don't. Why, why don't they do that? They don't, they stopped having slave labor, you know, they, they, why? Because they're not, you know, they're not, they're not maximizing kind of profit. And uh, it's there. So anyway, that's one of the myths. Um, <laughs> Number two. So I think one, um, the, the other one is you only, only manage what you measure. Um, and and this, is, this, is a, this is a big one, uh, I think, which, which Kate has, has come, out, come out of a lot of, a lot of what we were, we were looking at. 
And this idea that, you know, this, we need to be able to measure it to manage it. And it is, you know, every, you know, people know this is, this is kind of the, the kind of the, the kind of the Drucker quote in 1954 that's drive anyone. So but one of these other things, people forget the rest of the quote. The rest of the quote is only manage what you measure, even when it's pointless to do so and may harm the business by kind of doing it. <clears throat> most, most business performance measurement system inadvertently promote and incentivize the unsustainable option. That's, that's the problem that we actually have. That there's often that these performance measurement systems that have increased are, are kind of like, um, and uh, uh, Dom, this one, he came up with them, van they called them vanity measures to make them look good. Not to kind of mm -hmm. challenge or confront what's actually in. Not to measure the things that ultimately create value or not to measure the things that businesses depend on for our existence. And what we're really kind of like arguing here is we need to change the way in which we perceive um, our relationships and our dependency and, and, and largely to almost open our senses, create new senses to all of the social ecological consequences and manage them, even if you can't always come up with a scientifically uh, valid measure. There's so a real we... danger in missing things out, Jess. So when we say, oh, we need, okay, we need to come up with some targets, we need to come up with KPIs and they need to be smart. That's where you're just narrowing your focus too much you're and potentially looking at things just yeah. because they're measurable yeah. and then you're I mean, missing everything else. And I'll be honest, I'm an accountant, you know, so uh, apologize. I, I don't apologize. For that. No need <laughs> but, for apologies. <laughs> but, but too often we, we tend to focus on the numbers yeah. rather than the relationships yeah and i actually yeah. think when you look at what what you know kind of good accountants who actually make who kind of help businesses they look at the relationships first they look at what's important and then they devise the the, the, the measures where necessary to actually keep on on track the danger if you just start looking at the measurements and the numbers is you miss you miss the things and that really ties into the the third one which is laser-like focus gets results where you kind of like focus on one thing, this idea that you need to focus on it. I mean, imagine if you only looked at the world through a microscope or a telescope, right? You, yeah. you know, that's the only way. You, and I mean, you, you can see amazing details and it's there, but what about the things you miss when you look at a microscope? I mean, we all laugh at the videos that you see on telly of it. You're like the dad standing there filming a cute puppy as a trampoline blows onto him, you know, and stuff like knocks him over. Yeah. You go, ha, 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 isn't that funny? I, I, so I think there's a lot of stuff that goes on in businesses like that. Yeah. You know, people are filming the puppy. Meanwhile, there's like climate change and other things coming along. We, we, we obviously need the microscope and the telescope, but only as part of our knowledge gathering. Too many of the risks come from our single solution bias, looking for simple answers at the expense of impact. Mm. Um, one of the things that <laughs> I said, I'm a, you know, sort of a past, a martial arts past. And when you're doing martial arts, you don't have a laser focus. You have what we call a soft focus. It's like this ball round about where you sense things coming towards you so that you get right. a wider perspective. And you can look forward and backwards and try and get all directions at the same time, considering possibilities and consequences. Yeah. So that's one of the things there that often, you know, there is always a danger of focusing in in um, in, in that in that regard. Mm. I mean, the the other the other ones, um, consumer is always right. 
you, you know, and, and, and this, is a, this is a big mantra. But the problem is, is the consumer, the customer can only choose from what's in front of them. What if all the choices are bad? What yeah. choices are bad? I mean, what freedoms do consumer have a choice? I mean, we, we talk an, an example about, you know, people in Lagos buying uh, bags of water. And you go, isn't, oh, no, no, like that's not sustainable. They're on $3 a day. Only 10% of the people in Lagos have piped water. Yeah. And most of that piped water can't be relied on. Can we really, you know, kind of blame, uh, consumer blame or consumer shame in, 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 the, in that regard? And uh, I thought it was really interesting when you talk about the myth of the rational consumer in the book. So we're all in the supermarkets making really rational, calculated decisions about what we're buying. And that kind of is a bit like that focus again isn't it it's just not like that in real life because you're influenced it's, by everything around you and how you're feeling on the day and absolutely kind of up to I mean, business to put the right things in front of us isn't it I, I i really i actually really enjoyed that that little myth and I, it came from talking to my my kind of daughter who who basically was a um she was a nurse at, at the time we kind of came she was working in a covid tri- triage ward as it's actually coming coming off night shift Okay. Used to come off night shift and then she had to go and do the shopping for for her yeah. household. Yeah. And 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 you know and she's got and the idea that she, you know that and, and she cares. You know mm-hmm. um, she she really cares. I mean she's she's a genuine kind of ethical, you know kind of ethical consumer. But she she was coming back often there with with you know with all sorts of, you know um, products. And she's going. How how can I choose? How, how can I how can I actually yeah. kind of uh, do do that? Whereas if they put if if I didn't have to make so many choices, yeah, and the experts who know all about these different things, yeah. So why, why should we blame the blame the consumer? And often we we do consumers are powerful. They do have the you know they do have certain powers, but it's it's kind of limited and it's too easy I think to pass the blame. On to, so consumers don't want it. It's passing that responsibility on, isn't it, to the individuals? And that's something like as a society, right. we do a bit too much anyway. Yeah. Um, one, um, one more myth. One more. And it's yeah. like that you have to be, it's only a responsible leaders who make a responsible decision. And, and I think that what we find, we need to step away from blaming everything on the sociopaths who do exist, but they're actually, they're, they're, they're not there. We need to look at the psychological, social, institutional structures that restrict choices, and pushing everything onto onto blaming one person and say ah bad decision had to be a bad person. Um, that that's actually kind of quite problematic. And and this idea that we've you know got these you know these these kind of it's it's only problematic people who make problematic decisions. Mm. Um, there is lots of ends, but, you know, kind of like where devolved, decentralized and diverse leadership is situated as close to problem works best. Um, and it's not the heroic tortured individual pulling down fat cat salaries that, that, is, no. that is, is there. But we also have to accept our agency and responsibility to actually to, to, to do that. It's, it's sometimes it's, Sometimes it's it's good people doing the best they can, and sometimes they make an inadvertence. And all of the five kind of myths all, all kind of like um, linked together, uh, you know, and, yeah. and we try and synthesize them in in that way. Yeah. So these myths 
I think alongside the perception that sustainability is just so vast and complicated to address, they create big stumbling blocks for even the most well-intentioned organizations when it comes to actually taking action. So your book offers advice on how businesses can start this journey, and it has lots of tools and resources to help with this. So there's an awful lot in the book, but it would be great if you could just give us a couple of examples of these and how they work. Sure. I mean, yeah, I think both me and Ian were really conscious when we were writing this book that it had to have practical application. Yeah, it's really practical. I was, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad yeah. to get that because I think yeah, we obviously want to present the research and the, and the theory behind it all and give it that academic rigor. But ultimately, we were trying to meet that need in the business community that yeah. they wanted to put this stuff into action. And um, so, even though each chapter does take a deep dive into the research and and, 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 you, and you get knee deep in theory, um, we, we always emerge at the end of each chapter with um, with a summary of basically observations of what a responsible business looks like because we're, we're talking about res, uh, responsible business as a new science essentially you know we're we're pioneering this new science of responsible business we don't know what it is yet but we're looking at what the best businesses do and we're sort of summarizing what they, they do and, and what traits they have and then we're putting some theories together off the back of that yeah you can test in your own workplace and then we have this practical pathway which is the mm. most important bit i think um, and each practical pathway for each of those five chapters so essentially those five chapters represent um uh, five key areas of business so it's governance accountability production consumption and leadership yeah um, so it's a nice way to structure the book anyway we thought but um but each for each of those key areas we've got a path a positive pathway for each one and they have four steps um and i guess if we take one example of responsible consumption that, that chapter on 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 um, uh, the myth of the uh, uh, the sovereign consumer um the first step we suggest is is simple and trusted labeling uh, and we know the research suggests that any kind of label that uh, gives details of the sustainability of that product will help uh, the consumer make a, a better choice. Right. Uh, so that's a, a really easy first step that most businesses could try and do. Any kind of label doesn't have to be too complex. It could be a traffic light system, but it could be just a basic number or some kind of indication of its of its provenance helps. Uh, the second thing you could then do on that journey is, is, is circularity or improving all those three R's of recycling, uh, repairing and reusing your product. Are you making it easy for your, your customer to do all those things? Um, the third part of that journey is uh, consumer activism. Um, so basically treating your customer as a supporter of not only your values as a business, but also their values. You know, how are you supporting their values? Like um, there's something called the Good Life Goals, uh, where which is a sort mm. of a consumer focus of the global goals, if you yeah. like. I hadn't heard of that before I saw it in the book, but I looked well, it up. Yeah, I'll be entirely honest. I hadn't discovered it either until... Oh, we really? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It kind of humanises the global goals, doesn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. I think it, it just... I think it's a nice... And it turns it around a little bit, which is... It makes the, the business think, how am I helping my customer live their values in their life? And I think yeah. that's an interesting way of approaching the, pro the problem because, you know, a consumer is, is trying to live their best life in tune with these ambitions. And how is their product fitting into that and I think that's that's a useful I think, I think just to just to jump in on that I mean one of the things with the good life goals is as you said they kind of make they humanize them and they and they and they just twist things around a little bit and yeah. we, we I, I like some of the the fun theory and gamification type things that that kind of go on yeah um you know where you where you kind of make things a bit more playful the, yeah, well, the great, nice. I, I love the example of the Stockholm speed camera where 
previously you have a speed camera and it kind of goes, oh, look, you, you, you punish the bad people, right? But what they did was they did something different, was they basically said, okay, if you're below the speed limit, you get, you know, the, the, the bad people, they, um, they have to pay a fine. But if you're under the speed limit, you go in a lottery to win, uh, to win a share of the fines that that's actually really? there. Yeah. So you just take the the thing which is seen as a was seen as a big brother watching you doing the camera, and then you just twist it round slightly, just reorientate it slightly to mm-hmm. then incentivize the behaviour that you want. Yeah, and I think that's 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 that's, that's kind of one of the things that we should we should actually be doing. It's just so much look a better at way cameras for yeah for labour for carbon emissions and. And and just that little kind of reorientation, mm. you know, about maybe things to do with waste or to, as Don said, kind of recycling. Again, yeah. it's tapping into that those motivations that go beyond money, beyond profit. We know, yeah, we know just as businesses aren't just about profit, we know that individuals are not just about saving money or, you know, going yeah. for the cheapest item. They want to feel it has a, a, a bigger resonance beyond that, beyond that. And we're tapping into values and people's motives beyond that. Yeah. Um, so I'll, put, I'll make sure we add a link to that in the information in the podcast. Yeah, and, and the speed camera thing is, is, is now you go around and you get these smiley faces when you're below a speed limit. That that's that's a, yeah, a direct that's, kind of yeah. consequence of this. You right. don't even have to. You don't even have to give kind of like monetary prizes. You just go, well done for doing a good thing. Yeah, we don't need much, do <laughs> we? We don't need much. No, 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 we, we recognition. You know, yeah. about humanity and, yeah. and these things. You know. So yeah, I, I, so that's like the third step, and then the fourth, the, the final step in that positive pathway is um, social political influence, which is a, a fairly big idea, but it's it's essentially the, the business recognizing that it has a platform and buying power, and and is essentially a business as a citizen. It can have, mm-hmm. it can operate in that in that political social space and create and help amplify those uh, political movements and those messaging that's important it can it can be a player beyond just the kind of economics of the business it can start to engage in those civic roles yeah um, and I guess if you look at that all those positive pathways at the end of the book they sort of start with the simplest so in this instance it's the labeling and then ending up with the idea of a business as citizen idea and um, so we're just trying to help a business wherever they are on that journey it may be that you know the, the, the bigger companies are already doing the labeling but where do they go next after that but for a smaller company this is your starting point and just follow this journey this this pathway and you'll 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 get further along and, yeah and, and I think in the book there's things that can be applied whatever kind of business you are so it's not just about selling products to consumers is it it's about services it's about big and small businesses there's yes. going to be something in there that any business can pull and start to use I think that's the hope yeah that's exactly right yeah yeah um but in all of this um it's it's very complicated it's very difficult and yet it kind of feels like in some ways you do have to focus a little bit just to make a start so how can businesses find a balance between embracing this complexity and looking at the whole picture while being focused enough to actually start to make changes in a practical way yeah it's 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 a a really good question Um, i often kind of you know kind of start off an answer to this this type of question is that we, we assume that what we're doing just now is simple, but it's not. Like the way businesses run is, is incredibly complicated. What, what we're already doing now. We're already, yeah. we're already doing it. It's not, it's not easy. It's just that we're used to it. Right. <laughs> that, that we've kind of, we've, we've developed 
tools and ways of thinking and sort of like and and things which allow us to think that doing business the way we're doing business is in fact easy but it's just because we're, we're used to it mm. and I think it's about it, it's it is a it is about trying to to change things and what, what we try to do is try and take so some existing kind of business tools and, and again just reorientate them them slightly so that they, that we can actually do things it often is complicated if we imagine it as one person making all of the decisions. But actually, it's right. not. We, 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 we kind of, in business, we t- it's not one person. That's the whole point of business. It's bringing people together, you know, to, to make a difference. So if we think of it as many people making decisions, many people trying to, to explore things, then we can, you know, and we talk to others, the complexity starts to, to, to fade away. I mean, we do, one of the tools we've actually got <clears throat> involved taking the SDGs, the global goals, as fridge magnets and, and then a, a two-by-two two matrix. And then we just, you know, kind of like very quickly say, okay, um, what's, what, which of these goals do you depend on for your business success? And you just slide them over to, to, the, to the dependency. Then you go, what things do you have control over? Where do you make a positive impact and where do you make a, a, a negative impact? And you start to see the relationships that you actually have and you put them all in a nice two by two matrix. You're actually, actually providing like a new strategic tool, aren't you? Like absolutely. It makes me think of Ansoff's matrix or something like it, that. It is. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, just, it's just basically you're using something people are familiar with. Is there, yeah. And very quickly, you can start to get people thinking, kind of thinking that way. And, and then you sort of go, well, if you're dependent on something, then you really have to nourish and enhance it. And you have a, you have a kind of a, a relationship there. If you're controlling things, you should look to do no harm and you should be aware of the consequences. Where you have positive impact, you need to value and enhance it. And where you've got negative, you need to kind of remediate, mitigate and adapt. And when you break it down, you're going, it's no, longer, one, it's no longer about sustainability as a complex. You're then going, here's a, here's a simpler way of actually looking yeah. at it with four rules that, that, we, that we, need to, we need to develop it. And I mean, the, the kind of point is, is that these, these relationships, people are used to dealing with these relationships and certainly ignoring things doesn't make them any simpler. You know, it's <laughs> not that if we do nothing, um, all the complexity goes away, um, and there. I think the focus is to the focus is to start on the practical change. Yeah. Right? Right. So, so rather than think about sustainability, you think about the practical steps, and then we 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 go through some which which cause impact algorithms, you know, kind of stuff. We basically go right. We're going to we're going to reduce our waste. How do we do that? If we do this, then what are the implications? Is it, are we, and just, and we'll use qualitative logic, just go, okay, are we, if we do this, are we likely to have a positive or negative impact on poverty? Are we likely to have a positive or negative impact on hunger? Are we going to have a positive or negative impact on equality? And you just ask these questions. And then you just, what you need to do is record them in a way that actually maps out all the different consequences. You start with, you know, these little steps that you take. And then you kind of have a have a structured conversation, and and honestly, it 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 seems complicated, but actually we're actually quite good at these these sort of things. And it's amazing how often you get a group of uh, people together, 
they can start very, very quickly after three or three steps. They're now running away with looking at interconnections and say, this looks like a kind of a, an opportunity for us because we're dealing with what yeah. this one action will give us seven benefits yeah. and no negatives. And I, 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 I often, as part of this process, you know, you, you, the research has been fascinating. I, I went off and, and I was going, I was, I was sitting in the garden trying to work this out under, under a tree and, and, and kind of like looking at this little cherry tree that I've got in the garden and wondering how the tree decides. And then I went in to, to look at and And trees use algorithmic thinking as well. They've got 20 algorithms. Um, to decide whether they, they grow a tree, an extra twig or a, or a leaf or something like that. 20 algorithms. But 20 different algorithms. They look at the soil, look at the weather, they look at the sun, they look at the temperature, they look at the nutrients in, in there, they, they also sense things. And then they use this and then go bang. And it's actually almost like automated, but it is, it's all conditional type process. So I think that, you know, to sum it all up, we just go, just be a little bit smarter than a tree. <laughs> Beautiful. But actually, it, you're providing a new way to, for people to think about their businesses. And in the process of doing that, you are, you're going to make positive social change, hopefully, but yeah. it could lead to innovation and just different ways of doing things that are beneficial to the business as well, couldn't it? I, I think, you know, we want to, the book wants to do some of the heavy lifting for these people, for the for people who are concerned to do this as well. Yeah. I mean, we're, trying to, we're trying to distill... Um, some of these concepts down into like watchwords and, and, and principles that mm. then guide you. So I think we created the, um, the responsible business manifesto um, yes. and there's 15 points in that. And I think our reasoning for doing that was because, yeah, we don't, it is complex if you look at it in the round, but if you stick to these underlying principles, if you just have, if you print off this manifesto, just have it in front of you and read through it every now and then when you're making these complex decisions yes. and just look at them and, and just be guided by these principles you, you, you're going to make a better fist of it than yeah. if you're trying, you know, become an expert in all these different fields, which is all, which is impossible. If you say repeatedly in the book, you have to rely on others, other expertise, because you can't become this expert in all things. But yeah. that's not what we're asking you to do. But we, what we are saying, like, bear in mind these principles and you will be, make better decisions than, than not. Um, and it's not an either or either. You know, it, it, if you're, I think there's a great piece of research that came out in the leadership chapter um, about directors of a company who were primarily concerned with long-term issues for the business. Mm. It turned out they had as much, if not better, decision-making in the short term than those who were concerned primarily with the short term. Um, so they can both, you can do right. both and it, and, it, and it benefits both. Um, so yeah. I think this idea that it's a trade-off is, is, is possibly wrong. Yes, yeah. Okay, um, but I think there's also a, a fear of not being perfect or being called out or being accused of greenwashing. And that might be something as well that's kind of holding businesses back, like businesses who genuinely do want to do good. So what advice would you give about how to deal with this? Yeah, I, I, I think we say quite loudly in the book several times over that, you know, um, there's a far bigger risk doing nothing. There really is. There's yeah. a huge risk. Yeah, this, this idea that there isn't is a nonsense. Like it's... Um, you know, if you look at the tobacco industry in the States, um, I, again, this figure came out during the re research. I, I couldn't quite believe that the tobacco industry, because of all its years of suppressing the science and, and the health, damaging the health um, to, uh, of, of smoking to its customers, is now paying $9 billion a year to the government forever mm. in perpetuity. Um, yeah. and these are the kind of risks that you're storing up if you're 
not following the science or you've got the science and you're suppressing it and you're deliberately misleading uh, your customers and the public. And I think that's happening now with fossil fuel companies. I think, you know, that that's it's all going to come back to bite you in the end. There's a social boomerang effect to this kind of approach. Um, so you want to be facing risks head on. Um, and it's much better for you in the short and the long term to be doing this. Um, I do think ultimately that, that, that um, you need to be doing the hard work of interrogating your business and integrating the global goals into your business, because that gives you a sure footing for whatever action you are taking. You know, if there's, yeah. if there's no rationale to what you're, how you're responding, like Ian was talking earlier about firefighting, then you're not in a very good position to justify what you've done. But if you have this strong underpe- underpinning of, of doing what the book suggests, which is interrogating your business and integrating these global goals into your strategy and your purpose and how you do things, Mm -hmm. then you have got a much more rigorous response if things don't go right. So yeah, if you do have a, uh, uh, you know, if you do have a policy that that backfires in some inadvertent way or unintended way, which is often going to happen, the Mm -hmm. book has several examples of this, um, you can at least say, look, this came from a very good place with solid underpinning. And now um, and we've got this feedback mechanism within the way we operate to change as soon as we do come across these problems. And that's the kind of responsible thinking model that will that will help you not end up in a, in a position where you are greenwashing or perhaps accused of these things. It should be a learning process, shouldn't it? We can't expect people and businesses to all of a sudden fix everything yeah. and do everything. It's got to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think I... I, 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 I I have a vested interest here because it's it's it's, it's my the team the football team that I support. So like uh, got a nice example of um, Heart, Hearts Football Club um, based in Edinburgh, and they went through see you know they they were basically minutes away from going out going out of of business um, um, in in that regard, and then they were basically rescued by it, it, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a long it's a long story. I don't want to overly simplify, but. They did strange things, sort of like about they got rid of a, a shirt sponsor, right, which was Wonga, because they saw that as actually being not in aligned with with their with their kind of basic thing. Mm-hmm. There was a fear that they would be criticised for turn for a company for a a club that's just that's actually almost gone out of business and relying on funds from its supporters to keep it going as well as a, a foundation and a, a kind of a, a, a business leader, to actually to turn around and go, we don't want this money. In fact, we're going to kind of give it back. And we're going to go with a charity on our, on our chest. And we're going to kind of pay the living wage. And we're going to do other things. And what they did was they were kind of like slightly, they, they worked out, they, what did they do? They t- talked to the key stakeholders. They yeah. discussed with them. They explained it. They had a different type of accountability. And they were able to then to support and explain it. And actually the opposite happened. They actually, because they were explaining the logic of what they were trying to do and this idea of thinking like a supporter or thinking like your stakeholder and actually engaging, it, it worked. And I mean, they're not necessarily, they're, they, you know, they, they ended up getting relegated, but they survived. I'm at a football club that's just been there. They got relegated um, to the lower division but they created this resilience in the business, which right. basically meant that they were then able to survive, you know, and, and how many, you know, how many kind of like clubs is there because they were, they were doing it. And I think well, there's examples of this, apparently this counter logic, if you like, that's there. Oh, right. We're, we're in financial prop difficulties. We'll give up a source of finance. 
but actually recognizing all of the connections that's actually there and mm. explaining it right. is, is where where things go. And when you look at the businesses that people now um, you know, hold up and say, look, these are great models, very few of them followed the standard. They 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 kind of tended to go ahead outside. They virtually all had communication and engagement with different stakeholders right. at the time because they were, in some ways, breaking their myths themselves yeah. and pushing forward. Yeah. You know? And oh. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, the, the other, the other, the, I mean, the other thing is that, um, you know, we kind of talk about these. Is what what happens if you don't do? It? You know, we you kind of we got the little story about the. Imagine you're at a board meeting and you, you're you're making a phone call to like a a, a, a kid working in a under incredible stuff in, in oh, this is artis- bit, yeah. artisan mining. Yeah. And you explain to them that you're not going to do anything to resolve it because you can't solve all of the issues in your yeah. in your actually kind of supply chain. That you're not you're going to wait, and you don't even do things like fair trade coffee because it only kind of like it, it only improves things a little bit. Yeah, and 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 you know, and, and I think we make the point that you know that a good change delayed is suffering enhanced. Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, um, what would you say to people who argue that it should actually be down to governments and laws um, to make business and the markets more sustainable? And it shouldn't really be down to the actions of individual organisations. It's, I mean, I think when we, if we look at, if we look at sustainability, sustainability is is more than governance. It's more than leaders. I mean, Dom mentioned there's the the five different components, and yeah, governments do have an influence on some of the pathway, but they don't, they don't have. They, they don't have all. I mean, being sustainable and responsible is just, it's not about breaking a law. You know, in compliance with poor regulation is not sustainability. So we, you know, we, we, we kind of like talk about, um, about everybody having, having a kind of a, a role in it, everyone who's got power in, in particular mm-hmm. decisions. And I think there is a danger to, to push things into, into a particular it, it, it's all down to it's all down to it's all down to one person. The the they are it, it's it's not just governments as well. I mean, there's there's often who polices and who regulates, yes, and who enforces that that, that that's actually there, and and often you've got situations where people have made great laws, but they have no enforcement mechanism. And if you you know laws need to be operationalized in in practice. And, and many businesses are actually performing way beyond the minimum requirements that, that, that's actually there. They do need, you do need to have some, some regulations, but I, I think we, have, we talk about the regulations creating the floor. Right. Social aspiration and science creates the ceiling, and we need to work within, work within in that space. Everyone has a, has a part to play. I think that the, what the government role can do is to say, what are the things that are totally unacceptable? And we ban them so that they cease to become a choice. Yeah. But then we also need to kind of say, it's not just about the floor. We need to look at the aspirations. We need to follow science and the evidence and be ahead of the law and actually and create that, that space that we actually kind of want to, want to operate in, in, in that regard. 
I mean, certainly a lot of businesses are, are saying they'd like a level playing field and they'd love the, and governments can raise the floor and create that level playing field for all businesses to behave more responsibly. And, and I have a lot of sympathy at that point of view. Um, I guess it, 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 I think some businesses are saying, that, you know, if they did break out of the norm and try and do something different, they'd lose their competitive advantage because it'd be more expensive for them to do it, um, which may not necessarily be true. And, and the book sort of tackles a bit of that as a myth as well. The, these kind yeah. of anti-profit beliefs that, you know, you have to be more, it has to be more expensive to do the responsible thing when sometimes it can be quite the opposite. Yeah. Uh, that, that's another interesting business myth in the book. But yeah, I, I do have quite a lot of sympathy with that idea that government is, is, a, is a, a, an underutilized tool and, 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 and stronger laws and policies would help this in this, transformation enormously but ultimately that doesn't get a business off the hook and you know it, yeah. it still do many more things without that incentive it doesn't need that incentive to do these things yeah, yeah. and just just because you don't have to you know there are ways to avoid tax doesn't mean you can't pay tax that, yeah. that becomes a choice yeah you know yeah. And, and there's an awful lot of things which are seen as oh it's the law but actually it's still a business choice and i think when we can challenge challenge those 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 choices i do think um Money laundering and and tax havens are are, are something which governments uh, really need to really mm. need to to look at. You know yeah. that's 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 a that's a biggie, and and we're getting you know more and more crisis and more and more evidence yeah. in in that, and that's something that um, that that needs that needs needs to be addressed. I think. Yeah, that's a really helpful answer to that question. It's a helpful way of looking at it. Um, I have one more question for you. Uh, so many of the listeners of this podcast will be individuals working within business who might not have the power to make decisions themselves. But that fifth myth about leadership, um, it made me think that we don't have to be reliant on leaders to make good decisions and we shouldn't be reliant on leaders to make good decisions. Um, so based on your ideas and the book, what can we as individuals start to do? Yeah, I think, um, I guess it's worth looking at yourself and, and all the many different roles you have in, 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 in your life. You, you're not just a, yeah, an employee, you're also a, a citizen, an investor, a consumer. There's many different roles you play. And I think it's worth noting that you have agency in all those different roles, some kind of agency. It may not be as much as you like, very often isn't. Um, and I think it, you can increase your power in all those different roles if you collaborate with others. Um, you can you can gain heft and, and extra uh, extra clout if you do that. Um, I, I personally would look at becoming first and foremost maybe a more responsible consumer. Look at making better sustainable choices with that. You know, using your buying power, eat less meat, maybe make sure your pension is invested ethically. Look at changing your bank to a more ethical banking uh, bank, uh, if possible. Drive electric or use more public transport or good old fashioned walking. Um, Use your vote for progressive change. I know we've got a limited range of options, but yeah. you know, put your money, yeah, you know, put your, your vote where your mouth is on these issues as well. Yeah. Um, you can at work, you can join a union, you can be part of a staff representative body, you know, get your seat at the table to make these decisions within your business. It's really important. There are different avenues, even if you're not unionized at work. Um, you could also think about um, whether in your community or at work getting together with like-minded individuals and, and putting together some of these, uh, uh, taking one or two of these ideas from the book 
and making them your champ become champions of these ideas where you are and i think yes. um you know i think often uh, um companies are quite good at inviting fresh ideas from from members of staff and, and set up steering groups to look into possibility of doing things i think yeah you know, that, yeah you definitely don't have to be a business leader do you to take the ideas from the book and do something with them yeah, not, yeah. no i think it, i mean i think the, the other thing is that you know when when we look at this sustainability is is a relatively old concept it, it's not mm. it's not it's not brand new there's there's many different parts of sustainability that that actually are are, are part of the way our, our kind of norms and values and everywhere you look, there are other people who are also interested in, in making a difference. Um, it's not that you're, you're on your own. And, and I think one of, the, one, one of the, the big things in sustainability is when people start talking to other people and suddenly realizing, oh, wait a minute, oh, there is a, oh, right, okay, we were worried about slavery. Oh, wait a minute, there's, there's a, a mechanism that goes back 100, 100 years of people and how to how to address slavery. There's lots of expertise, there's lots of knowledge, there's lots of kind of groups, there's ways in which you can you can engage, you can, you can, you know, kind of collaborate with, with different different people. And I think that this this idea that there's a you know kind of stuff in business and it isn't part of society, culture, and nature is something that we, we need to look at. Yeah. And and some of particularly kind of my research has been looking at where has changed happened. How has it actually happened? And it's often it's collaborations between business and uh, and kind of activist group in civil society. It's not, and it's and I mean the collaboration where people kind of work together to say how can we how can we do this better? Yeah. Where yeah. are the ideas? And it's about that these things. Are, and and I do think that sort of like one of the difference between I think sustainable development goals and sustainability is they've taken a lot of the controversy away from it. I mean, who honestly thinks that it's good to kind of like to make pe more people hungry? Mm. Yeah, you know, it's not who, much who, argument there. There's not much <laughs> argument there. And so therefore it's like, okay, where, how do we, who, okay, wait a minute, oh, there's, there's Oxfam, oh, there's Tradecraft, oh, there's a whole range, there's a whole infrastructure of people who we can actually turn to and work mm. toward mm. and channel these ideas. And I do think that's the, that's the that's part there's there's people who've been struggling with all of these concepts for for a long period of time we can become allies with them we can become part of the movement yeah. and i think that you know they started off talking about black life matter and, and other things and yeah. this allyship seems to be a really powerful powerful you know old quite old-fashioned type of a way of thinking about you know you know kind of alliance and advocacy you know, use your use what privilege you have for you know for these this kind of these wider purposes, and and just these things, and always always try and you know you can do it every time, but try and reimagine: is there a better way of doing this? Yeah. You know, is there is there an imagine? And you and you might and you know and ask questions about: is this the only way we can do it? You're kind of saying, you know, it, it's like you know just. Just be critical. Be critical. Be questioning. Be kind of open, and look for examples of good, and yeah. use these examples of good to sort of say, "Look, they can do it. Look, there's this organisation here. They can supply, you know, kind of like sustainable, sustainable stationery. Look, there's there's people who can invest your invest your money in better ways. 
and just look there. Who, who can help us find out whether there's child labor uh, mm. in this? Oh, wait a minute, they're, they're there. You know, it's about, you know, this standing up, lifting the head and talking talking to people and, and collaborating. And, you know, rather than this, con- rather than conflict and, and, you know, competition, it's about mm. collaboration and cooperation. Yeah. And despite what people's, <laughs> despite all the myths that's there, that's if you like if you go back through history that's that's what's made that's what made societies that's what made kind of like um people sustain over time and in 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 that way so do what you can (laughs) talk to people all right look for examples do what you can but do something i love it that's such a um inspiring and motivating note to end it on and it gives the book and that it just gives us a little something to hold on to doesn't it and take forward and that feels really positive so thank you thank you for speaking to me dom and ian thank you for writing the book um so the book is called urgent business five myths business needs to overcome to save itself and the planet it's by ian thompson dominic bates um out now and you can find more information on our website which is bristoluniversitypress.co.uk.